Welcome to the Wisdom for Wealth podcast. I am your host, Lelo Mashatile. If this is your first time joining me, I want to give you a special and warm welcome to this podcast. You are going to learn a host of different things. So always have a notepad and a pen, at least even your notes app, because there will be tons of nuggets that are going to be dropped on this episode. First off, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners. Your feedback each week has been overwhelming. So I recently received feedback from Apple Podcasts saying that the Wisdom for Wealth podcast is ranking 16th within the investing category in South Africa. Now that's a big deal. South Africa is an entire country. And so I just want to say thank you to every listener, to every share, to every single rating that you guys have given me since I've started this podcast. I just, I, I just really appreciate all your feedback, every download, and every piece of feedback that you continue to give me each week. Now, remember, last week I made a big announcement. I am hosting a live webinar on the 23rd of November called the Leveling Up Your Finances webinar 2023. If you are tired of financial mediocrity, if you're tired of setting goals and never reaching them, if that's you, then this webinar is for you. I'm going to walk you through my goal-setting method that has worked for me personally. I went from having no savings to nearly 40K within nine months. And so if you want to experience financial transformation, then this webinar is definitely for you. So go ahead and register. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's going to be all over my social media. I'll have a poster up. So if you can't find it on the show notes, if, if you can't find it somewhere, go ahead and look for it on my social media at wisdom for wealth underscore. And so we can already see what the economy looks like. And unfortunately, we can't control the economy. The only thing we can do is change our own philosophy. And so join me on the 23rd of November. I really want to share what I've learned with you. I've got the social proof. It's worked for me. And I know that it will work for you if you're willing to apply the principles. Let's start 2023 differently. You know, it doesn't have to be like other years where we start with optimism and we're saying things like, this year is my year. Oh my gosh, this is the year that I'm going to do something big. Let this be the year that you actually do something big and you actually end up meeting your goals. So go ahead and sign up, share it with your friends, your sisters, your brothers, whoever you know that needs a financial transformation, go ahead and share it with them. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have another conversation with a special guest. Now, I know you must be thinking every guest I introduce, I call them special because they are. I mean, if you want to talk finances in South Africa, you must be a special kind of person. And so today I have an innovator, an entrepreneur, he has more than 14 years of experience in banking, specializing in trade finance. He holds a host of qualifications from various institutions from across the globe. He is also a property investor. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the podcast, Tim Mushiri. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Lelo. Nice to be here. Great. So how are you, Tim? 
I'm all right, Lelo. All good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Glad to be having this conversation about property investing. I think it's a highly requested topic, and I'm so glad to have you here to come and have this conversation with me. So right. I hope I, I think... can do it justice. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, why property investing? You know, why is property investing appealing to you? Okay, well, that's an interesting question. I can't say I really planned or intended to go the property route. I actually thought I'd be more of a stock investor than, than anything else, but I just found myself here and I thought it was great. I just kept going. So, I, I mean, there are a few things that I like about it. One, it's long-term. It is. It can be profitable. Uh, it's something that needs a little bit of patience. But overall, if you do it well, like any type of investment out there, there's you know, good profits to be made. If you don't do it well, then you can burn your fingers. That's interesting. Let's dig deeper into doing it well versus not doing it well. What does doing property well look like? Let's start with this. I, I try to prepare a little bit and I have like eight <laughs> points, which I think would be good markers. I mean, maybe let me just start right from the top first. I mean, what is property or real estate? Well, first, it's, it's a lot wider than, um, say, most people know. I mean, when you talk property, most people think about rental apartments or maybe a bit of commercial real estate, but it's a lot wider. There's even, you can do solar farms and other kinds of industrial real estate, factories, uh, storage facilities, speculating in land, uh, you know, schools and, and stuff. So it's, it's, it's really, really wide. So my speciality is just a small little niche. So residential real estate, uh, I think what we call affordable housing. So that's my little um, niche, or I should say my, my wife and I, because we, we do it together. Uh, we've done it for, I'd say, um, since about 2012. Like I mentioned, we started by 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 accident, it wasn't intentional. Actually, I can give you the story. Um, can just bore yeah, me that if you don't mind. <laughs> so, I mean, when I started my career with um, one of the international banks, we I used to travel a lot, do all these as international assignments, get per DMs and stuff. So, what would happen most of the times is whatever my salary was, I uh, it would just um, sit. I didn't have to use it; all my costs were taken care of. So, I used to invest in stocks which is what I was good at at the time. I thought I was good at it. I, I, I don't know if I was. Maybe I was just lucky. I don't know. Um, <laughs> then, I, then I got off that program around 2009 and 2010, real life started to happen. I still have to find my own place, get a car. I have to do all that stuff. And all that putting away money that I liked and I got to enjoy, I found that, there really wasn't much. I mean, my expenses had grown a lot. And so I was barely able to consistently save. So that was the one part. And then also I was here on an international uh, assignment. So my, my home country is Kenya. So I also expected to go back after a year. So I thought, you know what, if I'm going to go back, I, I might as well get a place and start paying for it now and force myself to save. And so, yes, I I put a down payment for an apartment off plan. 
Well, as fate would have it, I <laughs> never left. And about 12 years later, I'm still here. Then, you know, that apartment ended up becoming an investment property. And I had to educate myself very quickly on what I just got myself into. So it was supposed to be my home, but now it ended up being an investment property. And it worked. It was working. So, and we just kept building the portfolio since, you know, making acquisitions every year if possible. I mean, obviously the rate slowly at first, and then you kind of built more and more into it. And we've kind of found this as a niche and we like the asset class and, and uh, we think that this is something we'll be doing long-term. At least that's a plan and we've structured ourselves that way. There's a, there's a few good things about real estate. And you asked me that question. I don't know if I answered it well. Um, one is, you know, you can get a steady income from it. It's like investing in, in bonds, if they, if they can call it that, if they can call it that. So a fixed income coming every month, although with real estate, it's a little bit more volatile than, than bonds. So we don't relate, we don't use it for income. It's just purely as an investment. So whatever we get gets reinvested. But if, um, say you are a retiree, you see retirees doing a lot of uh, real estate. It's because of that monthly income that comes that increases with inflation and all, and that just forms a very good asset class for them. There's a prospect of capital appreciation, but that's more of a speculative return. You, we don't really rely on that. Um, there's diversification. I mean, we've got our careers, and you're earning income from a certain company or a certain industry, and our retirement savings are mainly invested in stocks and bonds. So if you're just trying to diversify and have exposure to different things, then real estate is a good option for diversification. And last thing is you can use leverage. You can use other people's money. I'm sure you've spoken about that in your in your in your um, podcast. Um, when not you have the yet, opportunity. But oh, not yet. Not okay. yet, but OMO, go, go ahead. Okay, go so maybe ahead. that would be the next uh, conversation. So there's not too many asset classes out there where um, you can use other people's money to invest in assets that you fully control. Um, real estate is one of those. So you put 20% of the money, somebody else puts 80%, but it's your property. It's also your risk. So if something goes wrong, they'll send you to the cleaners. But if things go right, then you take all the, the upside. So there's not too many investments where you can be a small boy, if I can put it that way, and other people will give you money to play around around it. So that's that's the other thing. You can uh, you can leverage whatever savings you have. Before we go ahead, I, I think I want to probe a bit further about OPM and to the listeners, I mean other people's money, as Tim has mentioned, is that when you say you can put in 20% and take 80%, you're referring to like bonds, right? Like a mortgage. And are there other ways to use other people's money to invest in real estate? Well, yes, there was speaking about bonds. The answer, the short answer to that is yes. And there's many people who do that through many different structures, through property management companies, through property funds, or if say you're a, you have a certain investment strategy, say you're a house flipper, um, you may have some rich relatives who you can promise a little bit of money. And so when you're making a property purchase, they, they give you the capital, you do the work, and then you share the profits. There's, there's many ways to do it. Um, but ah. the good thing with the real estate is because you're investing in 
what we call, well, real estate or real property. It is something that is there. It is fixed to the ground. You can't really take it away or run off with it or, you know, steal it or something. It's, it's there. It can get destroyed, but it's not going anywhere. And the law around real estate and property ownership is very established. You can, um, it's something where somebody else can give you money. And here I'm talking about bonds or even other kinds of investors, knowing that their rights are enforceable and can be secured by a real asset. So that's the one thing that real estate has got that most other investments don't. That's true. And and thank you so much for elaborating on that. But let's go further. So what are some of the risks? Because I think you've highlighted so so. You've highlighted so nicely what the benefits are of, of property investing. What are some of the risks that people need to consider? Well, the first thing I would say is it's illiquid. So you get in, it's, if you need the cash, it doesn't come quickly and you'll probably have to take a huge haircut. So, so it is illiquid. So it's not something that you um, put your money into if you know you might need the money for a rainy day. I mean, it's expensive. So when you purchase a property, say the market value is a million, you will have to spend an extra 5 to 10% of the property value to purchase it. And you will have to spend, yeah, similar, another 3 to 8% depending on the type of property to exit that position. And you might not get your million. You might get 950 if you're selling at the wrong time or even less. So it's very liquid. It's expensive to get in. It's expensive to get out and it can take long to get it and get out. So it's something that you ideally do long term. So that's one of the risks. So there are people who get in and, you know, want to flip and want to get in and out and speculate. It's, it's not a great um, asset for short term speculation or short term um, investing. The second one is that it's, it's, I'd say it's very dependent on what's happening in the economy and in the neighborhood. So like right now, the property market is down. I mean, there's signs of it trying to pick up, but that's probably been the case for some time. So if you're in a bad market, um, getting out is even more difficult. And if you want to get out, it's, you know, you can do it at a huge loss. If you're in a great market, you'll just make lots and lots of money. But right now, it's, it, it's very reliant on what's happening in South Africa and then also in local neighborhoods. So if, say, you invested in a neighborhood and the crime starts go up, your property value will go down and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, the other one is, yes, it needs a lot of money to, to get in. So, I mean, even if you're buying a $1 million property and your bank wants you to put up $200,000, that's, that's still a lot of money. And if the property value goes down to 900000 then you have lost 100000 just like that. So it's, it's risky. In the short term, though, in the long term, it's a bit less risky. Um, and then you need to know what you're doing, just like any investor. So if you're in there speculating, you know, hoping for the best, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, you can burn your fingers. Mm, wow. Thank you so much for highlighting those things. I think you've said a lot, and I think you've, you've gone into something I was planning to talk about, and it's the state of the economy and the property market right now. So obviously right now we're seeing very high inflation rates. Uh, we're seeing high interest rates. And my question to you is, 
do we expect people to sell or do we expect people to hold and just ride it out? That's a very interesting question. So, look, I, I try not to be a prophet because I, I get it wrong so many times. <laughs> and very many people have different opinions on what's going to happen. So, I mean, my view, just looking at what's happening in the global economy right now, I think things are rough. And maybe, for me, they're pointing towards getting even rougher or even more volatile. I remember when I joined banking, it was a time when you could predict what's going to happen in future fairly in a fairly straightforward manner. Then from 2008 onwards with the global financial crisis, it just became this circus where you don't really know what's happening, where and how things are going to go. But to answer your question, do I think people are going to hold or are they going to sell? I think it'll be a mix of both just based on people's circumstances. So um, there's been quite a few good properties come on the market because people are motivated differently to to sell. Uh, I mean, moving to Western Cape, immigrating, financial hardship, etc. So there'll be people who will be forced out. But I think most people will probably want to hold because they don't want to take a loss, if, if I can put it that way. So it's, yeah. it's a complete buyer's market. So anyone who is selling is probably going to sell at a loss. And uh, so for that reason, people will probably want to hold on. It's just human nature. Um, you just don't want to lose on, even if it's on a bad position, you just don't want to cut your losses. You hold on to it, hoping things will get better. But for many of them, I think the right decision will be cut their losses and move on. But to answer your question, I, I, I think things will persist as they are. And, you know, it's probably a good time to get into real estate. You have to take a view on what the future of South Africa is. I mean, what's South Africa going to look like in 20, 30 years' time? Because those are the time horizons you should probably be looking at. And uh, you have to take a view on that. So if you think that country will have imploded uh, or the world would have, would have imploded, then that needs to be factored into investment decision. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think a great point that you've just made is how the, the length of the horizon you have to look when you invest in property, like, you know, look 20 to 30 years from now and see what do you expect to happen in the economy? Now I've got a question that I think, Probably every podcaster covers this, but I think I'd be doing the listeners a disservice if I don't ask it. Um, yes. is, is the property you live in an investment? Yes. Well, I'd say yes and no. Um, yes, because it is... Hmm, okay, actually, I've never really thought about it. I view it as an investment because there is, you have a choice between um, renting and buying and each decision has an implication. So many times you will choose to buy because, well, it's cheaper than renting or you have control over the asset and you expect that in future it might be worth a certain amount. And so when you exit, you know, through selling or you move to another place and you want to um, rent this one out. It's part of the long-term picture you take when you 
own the asset. So my view completely is that it is, it is or it should be viewed as an investment, or at least that's how we viewed it. So this is probably the second place where we stay now, the second place we've, we, we own. Um, we chose to go, it's probably cheaper to rent, but we chose to go that route because we plan to hold it long-term anyway. And you want to do with the house what you want to do, so improvements, et cetera, without having to ask for permission, et cetera. And um, we think that if we do choose to exit, we will be able to get a lot of value and maybe or even rent this place for a fairly good amount. So that was a huge consideration in picking this place. But for many people, they just want a nice place to live and with all these amenities and stuff, and they don't really think about what the property would be worth or what you could get for it after you leave. So maybe for them, it's not an investment. But my view is that you should view your home as an investment and, uh, and treat it as such. Yeah. Okay, great. I think, I think that's a refreshing answer because I think often what, you know, we hear um, and, you know, to some degree I have a, a level of agreement with it is that owning a home comes with many other costs that renting doesn't necessarily, you know, bring up, you know, so if something goes wrong with the property, it's liable, like the, the landlord is liable, not necessarily yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think from that perspective, that's, I think the common, the common idea that the property you live in is actually not an investment is based from a cost perspective. But I think mm-hmm. putting on an investor's hat and saying, well, if I do decide to move from here, I can get good money for this. And, and so I think both actually apply. And I think in both instances, it's good to look at both, especially if you plan to hold it, then you better be buying something that's going to be worth something. I, I wouldn't want to give something to my son that isn't worth anything. <laughs> like, Correct. Correct. You know? So, so I think from that, I understand, but maybe just delving deeper into the costs and maybe let's speak residential costs. So when somebody buys a property, even if it's like their first property, what are some of the costs that come with buying a property that people need to be aware of before they take the plunge? Yeah. So as I mentioned, there is, um, you probably spend five, depending on where you buy it from five to, or I should say zero to 10% of the property cost you'd have to incur. So if you're buying it off plan, like for a, from a developer, you probably just need to pay your bond registration fee, which is like 6,000, depending 6,000 Rand or so, depending on who you're taking the bond from. Um, but the legal and transfer costs are not, um, they don't apply. If you buy a property that's worth less than a million, then, and it's a used property, then you have to take into account there's a conveyancing attorney. And if you're taking a bond, there'll be a bond attorney and the amount that you pay for that varies with the size of the property. I mean, those, those, uh, the rates they charge are public information. And then, but if your property is a million above a million rand, then you'll have to pay some transfer duty. So yeah, if you're buying a property off plan, you could just be paying 6,000 rand over and above the cost of the property. If you're buying it a property worth, I don't know, 5 million, then your total costs could be, I haven't worked it out, but it'll probably be in the range of, I don't know, 300,000 or so. It'll be a big number. Sure, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but apart that's from that, really, there isn't, there wouldn't be too many other things. The transfer process probably takes two, three months unless there's complications. It's become quite efficient. 
it can be quite daunting to buy this first property. I remember the, when doing it and you're like, oh, shucks, what did I just get myself into? And I think, you know, if you, I used to look at stock prices. When I was a stock market investor, I looked, used to look at prices every day. It's not the right thing to do. You should take a long-term view on things, but you'd look at it every day and you're second-guessing all the positions that you made and you're constantly looking for information to support or refute your position. Um, you will never really, um, the only time you really get to know or really appreciate being a stock, I mean, a, a real estate investor is once you get into it, you know, it's like, um, you tell me about gold, I barely remember what the price of gold is, but the moment I go and buy one of those Krugerrands or those um, medallions, you will check, you'll see me checking the price of gold every day and I want to know what drives the price up, etc. So once you're into it, you is now when you start to know the ins and outs of it. If I may, there's a question you asked earlier about um, what you need to do for successful stock um, real estate investment. I can, sure, go ahead. If it's okay, I can just give you a few pointers and I'll just share my experiences sure. and hopefully you'll find them to be uh, useful. So, Please like, do, go ahead. I mean, for starters, I, I, I said that is, uh, the question is, is property a good investment? Um, the answer really is, it depends. If you do it well, it can be great. If you don't, you can lose money. You can buy your finger. You can burn your fingers. Um, you need to establish what you're good at or a little niche. So like I said that I do residential affordable housing because that's what I understand. Um, in and around Santon, that's what I understand. I know that market. If you start talking to me about, I don't know, Durban or Cape Town or Mozambique, I will not know, but obviously I can educate myself, but that's on my area of speciality. And yeah, like any investment, the general rules of investment apply. I mean, you maximize profit, you minimize risk. So there's eight things I took, I, I, I took notes and that kind of summarize our approach. The first thing is, one, you have to educate yourself. So, I mean, there's stuff that you not learn in school. So my, my, my training background is finance, so I should be the expert in this. But most of what I've applied in, in, in our real estate uh, journey is stuff that I've learned from reading books and stuff and research and so on. I've probably read well, at least five books, between five and ten books on real estate investing specifically. Some of them are free. You can get them like on Kindle and stuff, but others you have to pay and it's worth the investment. Uh, so, but then on general investment, there'll be at least another 10 books specifically I have read and it's all relevant to this. So educating yourself is important. Um, financial literacy is not taught in schools or on professions, something that you have to learn and you have to spend money and take the time and, and uh, get good at it. Uh, I think it's Warren Buffett who said, you know, you have to invest in something that you understand. If you don't understand it, you're speculating. So you need to <laughs> read yeah. real estate stuff and know what you're doing for yourself. Uh, the second thing I would say is you need to set investment goals, right? So if you're getting into real, invest, uh, real estate investment, what do you want to get out of this? Is this more as a way of saving? For me, it was a way of saving. Actually, for us, it's a way of saving. Um, for other people, it's retirement. For other people, somebody I met a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, he says that this is what he's going to give their children as an inheritance. I mean, people have 
their own um, objectives. But the first thing you have to realize is that this is not a hobby. It's not something you're doing for fun. You have to take it seriously. You have to set goals that are smart, etc. So how many properties do you want to buy? How many do you want to own now or in five years? Uh, you need to have a, you need to think about it. Um, what kind of properties do you want to do? So we do, we are landlords, so it's buy to let, but there's people who want to rehab. So you buy, you rehab, and then you refinance and just keep flipping the properties. The people who take that approach, um, that's not for us. There's people who do social housing, student accommodation, you know, even people who do shacks. You need to figure out what is your market and what are you going to get good at. Some people specialize in short-term rentals via Airbnb and so we tried that once. It's probably not been, that's probably the, one of the things that we didn't get right. It was right at the time, but obviously the market turned against us, but you know, that's another business model. So when you talked about um, other people's money, that's another way to do it. So you just go to landlords and you lease property with them and then you sublease it via Airbnb. That is, that's another, that's another option. Uh, you could invest via real estate investment trusts. So that's just a lazy approach. And there's a few out there, you know, redefine. Or can I forget the names, but there's quite a few options out there. Anyway, those are, you, you need to figure out what it is that you want to do, how much profit you want to make. I mean, literally have a business plan. Think about your industry, what you want to do. Um, do I have enough capital to do this business? Do I have enough financing? Do I have enough time? What kind of timelines are we looking at? Are we looking at it as a 10-year investment? Are we looking at it as a 20-year, a 30-year, a lifetime investment? I mean, those are important questions that you have to ask, and you have to put them down in writing. I mean, there's a time I'd wanted to do an acquisition and discuss it with my wife, and she asked me for a plan, and I sat down and I researched and researched and put together a plan on what we'd wanted to do. And it's kind of what is guiding our decision-making right now. Do you want it to be an active or a passive investment? What's your level of involvement? Do you want it to be hands-off? Do you want to do it as a full-time or a part-time basis? Has it grown enough for that? Do you want to do it alone or collaborating with others? I mean, these are questions that you have to ask. So um, you set your goals, you put together a business plan. It's obviously difficult to put together a business plan if you've not been in it and it's all just theoretical, but try and refine it as you go. Um, the second thing I would say, the third thing I think is uh, for real estate, ideally you should do it um, long-term. So the house that you live or whatever investment that you're making, real estate is better done as a long-term thing. So thinking 10 or 20 years. I know Warren Buffett, when he does um, equity investments or buying stocks, he says his ideal holding period is forever. He usually doesn't sell. He just picks whatever he invests in very carefully. If you're talking long-term as well, it's a good idea to think about the structure that you're going to use. So for instance, when we started investments, we just used to buy it in our names. And then when we thought about it and you know tax efficiency and all these things, uh, we decided to shift and do acquisitions through a company. And the next step is probably to have the company owned by a trust so that um, it creates a more... Um, a bit of longevity, especially from a tax perspective and so on, because when you exit, the tax implication can be quite uh, heavy. So those are some of the things that we, we thought about. Investing through a company can be a bit disadvantageous or advantageous, but once you really get into it, I'm sure you'll figure out your, your niche. Um, the other thing is that property markets can be very volatile. So like right now, we're on a low. If you, invest, if you invested around 2018, 2019, you'd have been at the peak of the market and 
if you're thinking, if you had a five-year time horizon, get in at 2018 and exit at 2023, I can almost assure you you're going to lose money on that trade. But if you're to stretch it out longer and say 30 years from now, you're almost guaranteed to make a profit in that position unless something drastic happens. So long-term works best for, for real estate, but you know there's many different approaches you can find your niche. But generally, short-term does not work that well. The real estate market, I should say, tends to go fluctuate directly with the economy. So it kind of goes in 10-year cycles. Or rather, in the past, it's been in 10-year cycles. Who knows what the future holds? Um, so my opinion, you should be in there for at least 10 years. The fourth one, and this there's probably a, quite a bit to unpack over here. Um, and I'll try to be a, a bit quick about it because I, I know you've only got 45 minutes, is you need to take an organized approach to your property search. So one thing that we do is we've got these spreadsheets and these models where you put in numbers and you calculate and all that stuff and optimize and figure out which is the best investment just based on the numbers to put our money into. So even before we go to view a property, we'll usually ask for numbers and um, investor packs from the people selling the property for where it's available and we just crunch the numbers and if they don't meet our criteria, you know, you just move on, um, go play golf or have a dinner or something. Don't don't waste your money <laughs> or your time on it. So, so the first thing is you need to choose the location very, very carefully. So they say that property is location, location, location. If you were an investor in Morningside or in Santon 20, 30 years ago, you'd have been buying a two-bedroom apartment for 200000 So at that time, people would go in, they buy a property for three fifty, and five years later, you doubled or more than doubled your money. And that was the market at that time. But try doing that right now you'll be stuck on your purchase price for like five years or, or so. It's, it's, the timing was extremely important. And, and that's because of how that area has developed, whereas there's other areas where people bought property 10 years ago and the price right now hasn't changed that much. In fact, you might be worse off on an inflation-adjusted basis. So that's extremely important to... To, to, to think about the, the location, are other investors flocking in there? Do they like the neighborhood? Does it have strong rental demand? I'll, I'll tell you one way we do it, our research. So yeah, yeah, now here's giving you something practical. When I started, we'd, I'd gone to like private property and property 24. You look at all the properties that are for sale, and then you try and find a similar property for rent. And you put the two together. And so you can kind of calculate what is the cost per square meter, what's the rent per square meter. Maybe you go view one or two, and then they'll give you an idea of what the levies and the rates and all that stuff is, costs. And then you put down the numbers. You can get a bond calculator easily on, on the internet. I think I've seen one from Old Mutual and so on. And then you work out the profitability of that property. If you want to know how many buyers versus sellers there are, you can just drive around that area on a Sunday afternoon. They have show days from two to five almost everywhere. So if you've got a lot of signs, uh, properties for sale, it 
probably tells you there's more sellers than buyers, which is not, which may or may not be a good sign. Usually, it's a bad sign. We'd go on to Windeed, which is done by LexisNexis. That shows you the previous sales. So you can see how the sales have trended over time and whether they're going up or down. And if there's a lot of sales, then you need to ask yourself why. Why is everybody selling this? Are these properties good? Are they bad? Are they investors taking their profits? Are investors in there, but they want to get out? Is this an, an area where they've got a lot of people who are immigrating or emigrating, whatever it is? You can ask yourselves all those questions, but private property, Property24, Windy, speaking to the local agents. Some agents are not usually that honest. They'll just try and give you information to make a sale. But speak. They, I, I have a few agents who I know know areas very well, and they'll not give me a, a BS information. And uh, because I, I know exactly what I'm looking for, they'll give me honest information, and they'll only recommend properties that they know I'll buy. There's this one in particular who I keep calling and he asks, I ask him, does he have any properties? He's like, yes, he does, but he's not called me because he knows I'm not going to buy it because the price is too high or whatever it is. But he's hoping he will land somebody maybe less astute who will not ask all the tough questions and he'll make a sale. So those are some of the things. But that comes with education and experience, I suppose. I have, And then the other thing is vacancy rates. So if you look on private property and you see lots and lots of properties in a specific complex are up for rent, it probably tells you that if I was to invest in a property there, my vacancy rates will be high. So you'll have tenants moving out after six months, after 12 months, they don't like the place. And every time somebody moves in and out, it costs you money. So you should generally avoid those. So those are some of the things that you can get just from public information. Uh, the second thing we don't do is we don't invest in properties where that are not cash flow positive. We could make a few exceptions, but that's our rule of thumb. So I have this all the time with agents where they tell you, oh, invest now. Now these are actually not agents. These are development companies. If you invest right now, all you need to top up is 500 rand or 1,000 rand every month. But after five years, assuming your property value increases by a certain amount and your rental increases by a certain amount, you're going to break even. And the question I always ask is, well, most of the times you just walk away from those because you can get properties that are, private, that are cash flow positive right from the beginning. But what you can, the way we look at it basically is if I'm going to be putting in money every month, that is part of the cost of this property. Now, is it worth it as an investment if for five years, and this is speculative, if the market goes down, then it'll, it could be 10 years where I'm putting in money every month. So I'm earning nothing from this asset for five years or 10 years, and I'm hoping to make it big time in future. That's what you call speculation. That's not investment. But yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that it is always wrong. And in this market, it's generally difficult to get cash flow positive properties. But I can tell you, we, have, we don't have a single one in our portfolio, and we're happy. It's great that way. I mean, and then the third thing is, you know, you should always buy low. Uh, ideally, determine the value of a property, maybe discount that by 20%, and that's your buying price, your targeted buying price. So 80% 80 of the value of the property. That's a good rule of thumb to have. You won't always achieve it, though in the current market, which is a buyer's market, you might just so, so, so try your luck. I mean, the one thing that we have done, and we've done it shamelessly, is whatever the asking price is, if we think it's a fair price, we just offer 80% of that and see what happens. If you have a motivated seller on the other side, they might beat you up to 85%, and that's still not a bad price. 
we've done that and and it works. If it's a fair price, and then you might as well just take it. The one thing I have learned, and this is one, especially for Warren Buffett, is the highest risk investment you can ever make is the one that you pay too much for. And this applies across the board. So he says that his target is always to pay 50 cents for something that's worth a dollar. Because however bad, wrong things go, it's unlikely that you're going to lose money. But if you find something that is great, worth a dollar that you pay a dollar 20 just because it's on high demand, that's an extremely high risk. If that, the value of that thing doesn't go up to a dollar 50, then you're losing money. That's high risk. So the point is, there are very few good investments that do not become bad investments if you pay too much for them. And there are very few seemingly bad investments that cannot be great investments at the right price. Yeah. So maybe for some of your listeners, instead of high-end apartments, they should be doing shacks or something like that. Maybe that's where the money is. I don't know. Yeah. So buy low. So look for motivated sellers. So, you know, people immigrating. In fact, for us, when one thing we always do with the, the agent is when he comes to the property, we ask, why is the person selling? He'll usually fumble around and he say, oh, this person is immigrating or they're having cash flow issues. And, you know, we start licking our lips. You're like, okay, we <laughs> offer 80 or 90%. I mean, motivated sellers is what you should target. You can get cash flow positive, good properties, buying from motivated sellers. In the current environment, you will find a few. People will try to pretend they're not motivated, but if you dig deep enough, you might get them. You know, you find a property, so we get in, we go on private property. You see a property has been listed, was listed six months ago. I'm like, okay, these guys, or oh, they've cut the price. You're like, okay, these guys are struggling to get this thing to move. You know, you go in and you try your luck. But I cannot emphasize that enough. Buy low, target motivated sellers, or maybe even target development properties that are well-priced. Still under that part, um, on taking an organized approach, I have a model or a PNL, if I could, for each and every property. I know exactly what every property is making, and you monitor that on a regular basis. You know what the occupancy levels are, etc., and you know how profitable it is. So it's extremely important. I mean, this is business; it's not personal. Um, you need to know exactly what how your investments are um, doing, and don't get emotionally involved in it. So the one thing I found that we struggle with is you buy a property, you like it, and you're like, oh, but we invested in it. Oh, we felt uh, this was like our second investment. We did this, we did that. I mean, it's business. If the property no longer makes sense to hold, you know, cut your losses and move on. If the property is not profitable, holding on to a profitable business will cost you more in the long run. You know, cut your losses, move on. If you go to a complex and, you know, the properties are lovely and they look nice and they're well marketed, but the numbers do not make sense, move on. Don't get emotionally attached. Don't get emotionally carried away. So the point is, for us, property searching. You start by researching an area and then you look at all the properties. Like right now, we were thinking about doing an investment. I have probably analyzed like 30 complexes. And we've kind of narrowed it down to one or two that we like. But that has been hours and hours of work from all sorts of different sources and conversations with agents. It's important that you do that work.
guys, I don't know about you, but for me, that was an amazing episode. I learned so much just having a conversation with Tim. He had so many things to say, so many things to teach us, and I took lots of notes, so I hope you guys did too. One of the things that stood out for me in this conversation with Tim is the importance of educating yourself. I cannot overemphasize the importance of taking your financial education seriously. I think we know that in schools, we're not taught how to manage our finances. We're not given financial education. And it's so important to, to engage in self-education when it comes to finances, because one simple decision can cost you so much money. And that financial decision could be the make or break between becoming wealthy or being poor. And so I thought that, that, you know, he drilled that quite um, hard and I thought that it was only fitting that he did so. So I think another thing that I take away from this and something that inspires me is how Tim and his wife actually run their properties like businesses. You know, when he says that he's got a profitability look and view over every single property they own, I was like, man, that is goals, you know, just Look at your property like an investment, like a business. Don't get emotionally attached. Look at, am I putting more money into this thing that I'm taking out? Ask yourself those questions so that you're not holding on to things you probably should be letting go of. I think another thing that I just enjoyed about Tim's conversation was, you know, how he takes an organized approach when it comes to researching a property and whether or not to buy it. And I think that that's a great one, especially in a market like this one where, Property prices are fairly low and it's just so important that before you make the decision to buy your property, that you're doing research and you're doing it thoroughly and properly. And so I hope that you guys benefit from this conversation and we will be back next week with part two of property investing because my conversation with Tim was just so long, but it was so worthwhile that I only thought that we should just break it up so that you guys could get everything that we spoke about. Thank you for tuning in. And I think just to wrap up, don't forget to sign up for the financial goal setting masterclass that I'm hosting on the 23rd of November. Go ahead and sign up. I've put the link in the show notes. And if you follow me on social media, find me at wisdom for wealth underscore. And in my bio, you will be able to find the link to register for this free masterclass. Guys, you do not want to miss it. We are less than 60 days away from 2023. And you don't have to wait until then to figure out how you want your finances to look by this time next year. So let's be proactive. Come and have a conversation with me. We will have a Q&A. You know, I'll be able to take you through my goal setting method and show you how I've been able to win with it. But I'm also going to be able to show you why some people don't make their financial goals every year. So go ahead and sign up, find the link, send it to as many people as possible so that we can get many people that are going to set their financial goals and make a change in their finances. But for me, Lelo, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. Have a great one. Bye.